Chapter Fourteen of Roman Color Detective by Grace and Harold Johnson. The Slipperfox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Fourteen. At four thirty that afternoon, confessions over, Father Tim started to leave the church. He got as far as the side door, where he stopped in the open doorway to watch a summer storm collect into black-crested clouds before the first large drops of rain fell. For ten minutes a heavy downpour kept him in the doorway. He watched the rain wash down the hot steaming cars in the parking lot. It was a good thing he'd put Bill's car in the garage when he got back from town. Halfway to the rectory, Father Tim saw muscles coming up the driveway, his clothes wet but a grin on his face. He stopped and waited for him. Hi, Father. Hello, muscles. Fall in the river? The grin faded. No, Father, it rained. That's right, it did. Come into the rectory and get out of those wet clothes before you catch cold. All right, Father, Muscle said, quickly falling in beside him. I found the shell, and the cop said it must be the one from the gun that shot Mr. Linton, and he picked it up with a little stick in case there was fingerprints on it. You weren't home, so I couldn't tell you about it. Will they let Captain Bill go now? I don't know, but I suppose so. It was a thirty-thirty rifle shell, Father. The cop said so. The cops wouldn't know Bill didn't have a rifle like that. I asked him. What did you ask him, Muscles? I asked him if he thought Captain Bill had a gun like that. What did the policeman say? He looked at me kind of funny-like and said, Maybe you got something there, kid. If he did have a gun down there, he was a magician the way it disappeared. Then I asked him if they let Captain Bill out now, and he said he didn't know. He said all he did was bring him in and lock him up. When they reached the rectory, Father Tim opened the door to the sunroom with his left hand, while with his right he propelled Muscles up the two steps ahead of him. You first, Muscles. Captain Bill! Muscles shouted, and ran into the room. Bill Devon was seated in an armchair, grinning at their surprise. How long have you been here? Father Tim asked. About an hour. The cops found a shell from a thirty thirty rifle, and decided that unless I'd eaten the thing, there was no time for me to dispose of it except in the creek, and they dragged it in vain. Is that a load off my mind? The cops didn't find the shell, Captain Bill. I did, Muscle said proudly. I knew they'd need help. Bill looked at Father Tim. Get my car put away before that downpour? It's in the garage. Good. How about my keys, and I'll drive home to Aunt Martha's for dinner. I canceled the hotel's curb service and picked up your five bucks. Here it is. Thanks for the loan. I'll get your keys, Father Tim said, and left the room. Muscles looked up at Bill. If tomorrow wasn't a holy day, maybe we could start football practice. Bill rubbed his fingers affectionately in the youngster's wet hair. But it is a holy day, so we'll start Monday. How's that? It will give me time to think up some good trick plays. You said you'd show us Notre Dame plays. That's right, I did. They'll be a lot better than anything I could think up. Father Tim came in and handed Bill the keys to his car. Bill rose and winked at Father Tim. I think you've lost a coaching job. And thanks, Muscles, for finding that shell. Otherwise, I'd still be sitting down there in jail. Be seeing you tonight, Tim. I have confessions until nine. Okay, I'll see you after that. Father Tim led Muscles down the hall and up the stairs to the bathroom. Take a shower while I look around for something for you to wear. I'll have Miss Kearney put your wet things in the clothes dryer. They'll be dry by the time you're ready to go home. 
We can't put these tennis shoes in, so you'll have to go barefoot. Father Tim was still smiling over Miss Kearney's remark when he came back upstairs. Her reaction to the clothes drying was, It'd be much simpler for us to adopt the kid. But her smile as she walked away with a wet bundle belied the words. He dressed muscles in a pair of his own white shorts, folded in generously, and held with safety pins, and a gray-blue sweatshirt which reached to his knees. They decided, for sartorial perfection, to tuck the shirt into the shorts. You're built like a snake, muscles. No hips. That's what Mom says. Say, Father, I was in the drugstore looking at comics this afternoon, because it looked like it was going to rain. I was sitting on the floor by the magazine stand, so I guess he didn't see me. Who didn't see you? The guy that came in and used the telephone. You hear a lot of stuff you shouldn't on that phone. Anyway, it's not nice to listen to what other people talk about when they don't know you are around. But I'm not going to get up and go outside just because they want to use the phone. I'd never get any comics read. If what they got to say is so private, they should go to the one in the bowling alley. That's in a phone booth. All right, Muscles, maybe you're right. I see your point. Yes, Father. But this guy was talking about Mr. Linton. He was talking to Lippy Santos. How did you know? Well, Father, when he first started, he said, That you, Santos? And then later he got sort of mad and said, I thought you were going to meet me in front of the bowling alley. Then after he listened a minute, he said, Okay, Lippy. All right, what else did he say? He said, I won't need that guy now that Linton's in the hospital. Stone won't play tonight. Then Lippy talked, and then this guy said, Maybe in a couple of weeks, if Linton doesn't die. Then after Lippy talked again, this guy said, Sure, I'll pay his expenses for this trip. Who does he think he is, asking that much? The only card shark in the country. Then Lippy talked some more again, and the guy said, Okay, take care of him. I'll see that you get repaid. Lippy must have said something funny then, because the guy laughed and said, Who, Stone? He won't last much longer. He's practically out in the street. Be there now if it weren't for me. Those teachers we've been getting for him are expensive. Muscles looked questioningly at Father Tim. Funny things to say about Mr. Linton and Mr. Stone. What do they mean? I don't know, Father Tim says slowly. I don't know. I wish I did. Who was this man? Have you ever seen him around before? Oh, sure, lots of times, but I didn't know who he was, so I asked Mr. Franklin. He said the guy was Mr. Wilson, president of the bank. Muscles knew that what he had just told Father Tim was important from the look on his face. He stood silent, rubbing his hand idly up and down his jaw. Then he turned to Muscles. Let's go down to dinner. I'm hungry. Father Kearney was already seated at the table when they entered the dining room. We have a dinner guest, Father Tim said. Father Kearney smiled. Yes, I know. Mary told me. Then, turning to Muscles, he said, is that thing you're wearing the latest informal dinner jackets? No, Father Kearney, I got wet. The first half of the dinner was eaten in almost complete silence. Father Tim could see that Father Kearney was still worried about John Linton, despite the favorable reports from the hospital. From outside came the shrill, squeaky chatter of starlings fighting over the ripening fruit in the wild cherry trees, but the noise had little effect on the heavy silence in the room. Father Kearney's spoon clicked against his coffee cup. The sound was loud and intruding. It seemed to startle him and break his chain of thoughts. He looked from his sister to Father Tim. 
I was just thinking how John Linton measured up to the code of the Greeks. They contended that a man to have complete virtue must have twelve qualities, namely, ambition, gentleness, truthfulness, magnificence, generosity, magnanimity, reverence, justice, prudence, wit, courage, and a certain degree of charm. John measures up well. Muscles sat entranced by the smooth, sure flow of words. Point by point, Father Kearney developed his subject. He had reached courage. Father Tim and Muscles were finished with their meal, and Miss Kearney was just starting on her second cup of coffee when the doorbell rang. Father Tim went to the door. The grim, tired face of Sheriff Benteen looked in at him through the screen. "'Evening, Father. I'd like to see you a few minutes.' Before his hand could reach the doorknob, Benteen had pushed open the door and stepped inside. "'Guess this is a bad hour to bother you, but it can't be helped. I'm on my way back to Crescent City, and figured I'd better stop here on the way.' "'Perfectly all right, Sheriff,' Father Tim said. "'We just finished dinner.' Benteen's eyes glanced around the vestibule, then settled on Father Tim. "'Does your brother own a thirty-thirty rifle?' A startled look appeared in the priest's eyes. The sheriff had probably heard that Bill had been released by the city police, so now he was going to take over. Wouldn't they ever let Bill alone? Not to my knowledge. If he did have a rifle, it would probably be at her aunt's, Mrs. McCarthy. She lives across the highway from the Lintons. I've seen her. She says your brother hasn't brought any guns into her house, and that she never owned one. Father Tim smiled. That's your answer, then. The sheriff gave him an indifferent nod. Won't you come into the office and sit down? You'd be more comfortable. Benteen shook his head. I'm in a hurry. How about showing me where John Linton was standing when he was shot, and where that thirty thirty shell was found? If you're thinking that Bill had anything to do with John Linton being shot, you're mistaken. The city police have investigated my brother's account of what happened, and released him this afternoon. I know, I know, Benteen said. But how about showing me around? I can't show you where the shell was found, because I don't know. But if you'll excuse me a minute, I'll ask the boy who found it, if he'll show you. He explained how Muscles had got wet in the downpour before dinner, and had been waiting on his clothes to get dried. In a few minutes he returned alone, and said that Muscles would be glad to show him as soon as he was dressed. While waiting for Muscles, Father Tim led the way across the parking lot, and pointed out where Bill had been sitting in his parked car and also the place where Linton had been standing when shot. The sheriff looked soberly across the valley, took off his straw hat, and scratched his head. Your brother seems to have the knack of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Father Tim smiled. It seems that way, but if you knew him, you wouldn't be surprised. He's impulsive, and he's fearless. Benteen gave Father Tim a doubtful look, and continued his survey of the grounds. Within a few minutes, Muscles joined them, his clothes dry but wrinkled. Miss Gurney said she'd have ironed him, if there'd been time, but she didn't want to keep Mr. Benteen waiting. The sheriff cleared his throat. Supposing now, Sonny, that you show me where you found the shell. Muscles pointed down the hillside toward the right. Benteen nodded and looked at Father Tim. Will you stand on the spot where Linton was standing while I go down the hill? I'd like to figure out where the shot was fired from. Certainly, Father Tim replied and walked about fifteen feet back from the edge of the long grass, and took his position. "'Come on, Sonny, we'll go straight down from here.' The sheriff stepped into the long grass, getting the cuffs of his trousers wet. When he had gone about a hundred feet down the slope, he stopped before a large oak tree. 
Turning to Muscles, he said, This was probably where he was when he fired the shot, almost a straight line up the hill. Now where did you find the shell? Muscles took the lead through the scrub trees and bushes. He stopped at an old rail fence, rotted and falling apart. He climbed over it and then stopped. I found it right here, right on this spot, Sheriff. He pointed to the ground. Benteen looked up toward Father Tim, then toward the west. His eyes had a far-reaching expression in them. He seemed to be seeing something a long way off. He ran this far, he said, before he stopped to pump another cartridge into the chamber. He was afraid he might meet up with someone on the way home. If he had, there'd been another murder. His eyes were hard as for a long moment he gazed in the direction of the McCarthy home, unseen behind the trees in the Linton yard. Benteen looked down at his feet, then at Muscles. Let's get out of here. The bottoms of my pants are getting soaked, and I've got to get back to Crescent City. The sun, which had been behind a cloud, came out, full of creative heat. From the bottom land along the creek came the rank odor of decayed matter. Muscle's face wore a worried frown as he followed the sheriff up to where Father Tim was standing. He knew who the sheriff had been talking about while he stood looking beyond the trees toward the McCarthy home. He'd been talking about Captain Bill. Was he going to arrest him now and take him to Crescent City? Was that why he was in such a hurry? Muscles didn't say anything when he reached Father Tim, but walked solemnly beside him as they retraced their steps to the rectory. They watched silently as Benteen got into his car and drove off toward Crescent City. Is he going to arrest Captain Bill, Father? He talked all the time down there like he thought Captain Bill had shot Mr. Linton. He didn't say any name, just kept saying he, but that's who he was thinking about. Father Tim forced a smile. I don't know what Sheriff Benteen has on his mind, but if you see Captain Bill, don't mention that the sheriff was here. Now I'd better get ready to go over to church to hear confessions, and you'd better get on home before your mother gets worried. Be seeing you, Muscles. Good night, Father. The warm, humid air of the night felt fresh and cool against Father Tim's face after two hours in the stuffy confessional. He paused for a moment as he left the church to look at the stars, brilliant against the darkened sky, far beyond a few scattered clouds. There came to his mind a picture he had once seen, a picture done in all shades of blue, of a shepherd standing watch over his flock with the stars looking down on him. How appropriately it had been titled, When I Consider Thy Heavens! and how beautifully the artist had captured the spirit of the psalms. He walked slowly, reveling in the coolness, the freshness of a soft breeze coming up from the creek. The confessional certainly had been a Turkish bath tonight. He'd have to take a quick shower and put on some dry clothes before he did anything else. Twenty minutes later, when he came downstairs, he found Bill seated in the reception room. "'How'd it go tonight?' Bill said. "'Rugged. It was terribly hot.' Bill wrinkled his nose. What stinks in here? Father Tim laughed. I guess Miss Kearney chased a mosquito with a DDT bomb. They come up from the creek, especially after a rain. Bill sat for a moment as if recalling the past. Then he sniffed again at the heavy, Swedish odor. You know, Tim, the guy that killed Blake and held me up last Monday night smelled the same way. I got a good whiff of it when he reached out and held the pistol in front of me. Father Tim took a deep breath. He'd encountered that same odor that night. But when and where? Maybe Miss Kearney had been using it to keep out moths. But he and Bill hadn't lingered long in the house that evening. They had gone directly outside to the festival grounds. Bill's voice cut in on his thoughts. 
Boy, oh boy, it feels good to be out of that dump of a jail, and out from under suspicion. Out from under suspicion, Father Tim thought. Should he prepare Bill for what might be in store for him? Should he tell him of Benteen's visit? Better not. Give him a few hours free from worry. What you so gloomy looking about? Bill asked. You think they still suspect me? I was just wondering if Benteen had dropped the idea that you killed Blake. Bill laughed harshly. That guy, he was over and asked Aunt Martha if I owned a thirty thirty rifle, and found out that I didn't. So what else can he think now? They know, or must know, that the guy who killed Blake, crocked Jerry on the head, and wounded Linton, is one and the same guy. I'm sure they are satisfied that I didn't shoot Mr. Linton, so it follows I'm not Blake's murderer. Father Tim forced a smile. I hope you're right. Bill laughed. Of course I'm right. I'm free as the wind now. But why did all this have to happen to me? Father Tim gave Bill a look full of affection. I can't answer that fully, Bill. God's ways seem strange to us at times. But he plans well and arranges everything for the best. You've gained something from the experiences of this week. Bill looked up, a doubtful expression in his eyes. Maybe, Tim, but I wouldn't know what. They talked on for another hour. For Bill, it was one of the few happy hours since he arrived in Galton a week ago. After Bill left, Father Tim went up to his room. He was tired physically, but his mind was racing with a number of unanswerable questions. He wished he knew how and what Sheriff Benteen was planning after his exploration of the church grounds. Poor Bill. He seemed to think that he was entirely free now. Maybe he should have warmed him, told him of Benteen's visit, so that the Sheriff's next stroke wouldn't be too much of a surprise. As he undressed, he continued to mull over the conflicting angles of Bill's problem. It led him nowhere. He looked at his wristwatch. It was 11.30. Reaching out onto the small table beside his bed, he picked up a book. He'd read for a while and relax. Even after he stopped reading and snapped off the light, he lay in the darkness. His eyes closed, but his mind going over again the happenings of the night that Sam Blake was murdered. Queer how much a man forgot about things that had happened only such a short time before. It was like trying to rebuild a newsreel from chopped-up, raggy-edged film. Over and over again he ran through the events of that fatal night. And then, with the suddenness that lights come on after a power shortage during a storm, the thing he was after came to him. The thought did odd things to his pulses, causing him to breathe heavily. He had it. Now he knew he had killed Sam Blake who had attacked Jerry Laughlin, and who had shot John Linton. But why had he done it? And how could he, an inexperienced parish assistant, prove it? Long into the night, his mind dug up trifling bits of evidence, which, when placed altogether, could mean a great deal. But one thing stood out clear in his mind. He would talk the whole matter over with Father Kearney as soon as possible in the morning. He needed the counsel of his pastor's years of labor among men. Then the next step was to see and talk to Joel Santos. End of chapter 14